comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Second edition of the Action Lab podcast. I'm your host, Jim Dietz, uh, social media director and coordinator for Action Lab Comics, Action Lab Danger Zone, Action Lab Entertainment, the Action Lab gamut of uh, IPs and industry. And uh, we're coming back with the second episode of our podcast. And before I get to all the different categories of stuff we want to talk about, I just wanted to really thank everybody for the uh, the warm uh, reception that I've gotten and the, uh, the interest and the... Um, a lot of people have had a lot of nice things to say about the uh, the new podcast, and I'm very happy that they do. Um, we're really proud of what we do at Action Lab, and uh, I just wanted to find a new way to express it to everyone. I hope uh, everybody continues to keep downloading uh, through iTunes or through the hhwlod.com website or through Stitcher or uh, any of the other places it can be found. So um, thank you for all the kind words. And now without any further ado, because there is quite a lot to talk about this time out, Let's go in the news. As I mentioned, in the news is going to be a big segment this time because Action Lab, um, this uh, this week, we dropped the bomb. We really did. We put out uh, a little bit, um, a little uh, preview blurbs, a little little look at the future, as you if you will, um, a little bit of art and a little bit of uh, premise of, of each of our uh, uh, a lot of our offerings are going to be uh, putting out in 2014. We kind of put out the, the roadmap, if you will, of uh, what books, what new IPs, and what new books you can find uh, from Action Lab, in addition to our ongoings, um, uh, like Skyward. Uh, but we have new new IPs, new comics coming in 2014, and I just wanted to go over those with you really quickly because we're really excited about them. They're a really wide variety of cool stuff from a lot of really interesting creators. Um, the first thing I wanted to mention, coming in summer 2014, an oversized hardcover, uh, this will be a very special edition, uh, Mishka and the Sea Devil, written and drawn by Xenia Pamphil. Um, it's 11 different art styles by one one artist, uh, telling this great kind of fairy tale story of Mishka and this and the Sea Devil, uh, including Admiral Ghost and Captain Furball. It seems very whimsical and from the art it just it reminds me of uh, uh miyazaki uh like my neighbor tortoro or something of or um of that that ilk, kind of that strange whimsical fantasy it just uh, it looks like it's going to be a really fun book and that'll be an oversized hardcover the same way that we did uh, molly danger and vampless uh coming out in 2014 
the the next thing I wanted to talk about was First Hero. It's spelled with a one for the I in the word first. Uh, it's written by Anthony Ruffgeiser, Ruff art by uh, Philip Sevy, and we have uh, covers for the book by Lee Motor, um, pretty well-known name in the comics world. Um, basically, uh, the, the premise for First Hero is pretty interesting. Uh, in a world of superpowers, what if everyone who got those powers just went slowly crazy and insane and villainous and out of hand and only one person was able to keep their sanity and also uh, utilize super abilities and that's uh, where this is coming from he's the one hero in a world of super villains so uh, sounds like a pretty cool idea to me the ele- that's the elevator pitch for it anyway and uh, it just really uh, it's a really interesting looking book looks looks kind of cool looks like maybe it People that might like uh, Wanted or The End League by Rick Remender, things like that, might be interested in that. Um, we also have coming in uh, on First Hero comes uh, as a four issue miniseries in the fall of 2014. Uh, next up, uh, also four issues this in winter of 2014. Jetpack Bastards, written by James Patrick, uh, who's also written Batman. Uh, has written the Star Trek franchise. Uh, the art is by Carlos Trigo. Very cool. Uh, young artist coming up, very anime style, uh, very interesting uh, uh, look to the comic. It, it's, it's like no, is what I when I say it's like no other artist. That's that's a compliment because it's a really cool and unique look. Uh, um, it, it it seems like fans of uh, of of books like uh, uh, Starship Troopers or the uh, Joe Haldeman's Forever War, the kind of sci-fi. Um, uh, Earth is attacked by a superior alien force, and uh, the, the the forces of Earth have to use guerrilla tactics with the uh, jet jet pack brigades who who fly like crazy people into the enemy ships and blow them up from the inside. So it's kind of a suicide mission of a suicide squad set in a hard sci-fi uh, future, and uh, it's pretty interesting uh, art, like I said, and uh, written by James Patrick. Uh, four issues of Winter 2014. Another uh, franchise coming to Action Lab that we're very excited about, um, Midnight Tiger. That's uh, written by Duane Feenstra, and uh, the art and the plots in the book are by Ray Anthony Height uh, from Marvel Comics, who's probably best known. And also, Midnight Tiger is going to be uh, uh, featured in our free comic book day offering from Action Lab this year. Uh, so uh, if you want to get a little taste of, on free comic book day of, of the, the kind of urban adventure of, uh, uh, of Midnight Tiger, you should definitely, uh, you know, check that out to get a, you know, a little look at it. Uh, the art is outstanding in this book. It just really looks great. Um, uh, um, Ray, Ray Height has just this really cool style. Um, basically what happens is this 15 year old kid, uh, tries to save a, uh, a superhero who's you know, bleeding out and about to die, and it turns out he, by being exposed to that that character's um, you know blood, picked up a few super abilities on his own. So now he has to deal with uh, you know it's, it's a teenage superhero with a with a modern twist. Uh, it's got you know the old school Peter Parker teenager flavor, but with a modern a more modern take and a modern look on the character. And it's really exciting book that we're looking forward to uh, to putting out in spring of 2014 uh, for a four-issue miniseries. Coming out in summer 2014 for three issues is uh, Nate Watson from uh, uh, from Nate Watson, uh, an animation artist from who has worked at Lucasfilm. Um, is a book called Runner. Now, Nate has a really cool anime influence style. And um, it's, it, it's kind of a, um, a, a twist on like... Um, 
the, the reality TV show, the future, only the humans um, are performing for the, the, um, the likes of, of, of alien races, um, hyper brawlers. Um, and it's just, it's really cool and interesting uh, um, uh, sci-fi uh, look to the book. Very, like I said, the art is very anime-influenced. Uh, fans of, like, Joe Mad. Or, or Humberto Ramos uh, would probably like this art a lot. Uh, it's written in John by Nate. We have three issues of that coming out in summer 2014. And then finally, another new thing coming down the pipe that I'm really excited about because I really like well, the look of this book and the, the premise and the story and everything else. Um, a book called Planet, Planet Gigantic. Now we're going to be doing a four-issue miniseries of winter 2014. And I, there is a large backstory to Planet Gigantic, but basically it's super... Uh, genetically enhanced uh, uh, human clones, um, you know, dropped on on uh, planets to uh, they crash land on a strange planet. Uh, the, these like prototype super teens. Um, so you have like the, the the superhero teenager type thing going on. You also have the sci-fi high adventure um, thing going on. The the art in this book is very interesting and, and very striking to look at. It just has a really cool style all of its own, and that's saying something considering the rest of the Action Lab slate, so I would de- you know, definitely recommend this. Uh, Planet Gigantic is written by Eric Grissom, arts by David Halverson, and it, it's just high adventure sci-fi with a really cool look that doesn't look like anything else on the stands, and I love being able to say that about the Action Lab books, you know, that they really are pretty singular unto themselves. They really do not have you know, there there aren't any books like the ones we're putting out, and, uh, you know, I don't mean to blow our own horn, but, you know, that's something we're proud of. You know, we don't want to put out another cookie-cutter superhero book or another cookie-cutter zombie book when, you know, there are so many great creators out there with great creative ideas and, and, and talent, you know, artistic talent, that, you know, why, why not come out with something new and, and fresh? On the Danger Zone side, we... We have uh, we have a few books coming out that we announced for 2014 as well. Uh, Ken Crackler's Dry Spell, which is a really cool take on uh, superheroes um, in, in a uh, in a world where superheroes are kind of commonplace. Uh, a, re- a, a regular uh, guy seems to um, all of a sudden realize that he too has gifts and uh, hit. With with devastating uh, results, it's a really cool and dark take on on uh, superhero uh, um, tropes and, and ideas that we we have about those kind of things, and uh, just a really cool look to the book as well. Um, also, we from Danger Zone we have Southern Dog by Jeremy Holt with the art art by um, Alex Diotto, and this one has colors uh, covers by Riley Rosmo, who's also done some covers for Jackhammer for us. So, uh, very striking cover art. Um, this is about some uh, southern fried werewolves in the in the wake of the Obama <laughs> and, um, inauguration. You know, so it's near, you know recent history. Um, it's like if William Faulkner and uh, um, decided to write a sequel to The Howling, <laughs> it would be right along. You know, it's that kind of dark southern gothic story, but also with the twist of of the the main character uh, being able to transform into a werewolf. Um, so it's just a really uh, cool take on some uh, and cool shuffling of some interesting uh, styles and ideas, and that'll be coming out for four issues in the summer of 2014. And then finally, um, imagine uh, from, this is from uh, Eisner-nominated Princess artist Mia Goodwin. This is her new book, 
uh, written by uh, John Verrill and herself, and, and Mia Goodwin is also uh, co-writing, doing the art, um, called Tomboy, and uh, it's, it's about, it's almost like if Buffy were a vigilante, you know, if it, this, the, the main character is like half Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and and, and half the old 80s DC character Vigilante, you know. She is, um, she's forced to avenge some really hor- horrific things uh, after her friend dies, but then you realize, she realizes this, the horrific things are changing her as well. And um, it, it's an interesting premise, and it's a cool twist on that kind of, uh, that kind of story. Um, three, four-issue minis uh, of, of Tomboy will be starting in winter of 2014. So as I said, a lot of news this, this week from... Action Lab as what's coming what is coming out in the coming year, and this is by no means all of what we're doing, but this is definitely a look uh, down the road uh, for the coming year of 2014. So, pretty interesting. Uh, I'm glad to be able to share all this news to you and all these exciting creators with really cool and interesting books. And you can check out all the news for our upcoming 2014 books, all of our uh, premieres for 2014. I'll and get a look at some of the art from each of those. If you go to uh, actionlabcomics.com. And this week on the racks for the week of January 22nd, 2014, uh, we have Bo Plushy Gangster number one of four in a miniseries. Uh, the writers are uh, Pavel Balabanov and Vasily Taryantiev, and uh, the artist by Pavel Balabanov. And uh, Pavel uh, and Vasily worked for a lot of uh, video game companies doing art. So this art has a very cool look to it. Um, basically, uh, if, if Teddy Ruxpin grew up on a, uh, a diet of NWA and Ice Cube from back in the day, he would be Bo Plushy Gangster. It's like this um, hardcore street gangster uh, wielding a, a katana in one hand and a, and a, and a gat in the other. Uh, with with a giant gold grill, who is actually a plushy bear, and it's a cool juxtaposition of, of style and uh, and ideas, and uh, there are <laughs> there's a, a digital trailer for Bo Plushy available uh, on the Action Lab site. If you go to actionlabcomics.com and go through the feed. There's a digital trailer uh, showcasing some of the art with uh, some of the music that Bo Plushy himself would probably enjoy. Um, this is the first uh, time Bo Plushy has come out in print. It's the first, uh, this is the debut uh, of, of the book, other than our digital uh, premiere of it not too long ago. And uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of hilarious and cool and uh, and crazy all at once. So definitely want to check out Bo Plushy Gangster number one. Uh, Fracture comes back for a second issue in the second volume, uh, written by Sean Gabarin with the art by uh, Chad Ciccone and Bill Blankenship on the cover. Um... Fracture has, uh, I can honestly say, one of the most inter- one of the most original premises in all of superhero comics, and that is that the main character is both uh, the hero and the, the superhero and the supervillain, thanks to uh, uh, split personality disorder, and uh, how that kind of plays out and how that affects the rest of this world and, and these characters is what this book is all about, and uh, it's really interesting. It's it's one of the few superhero books on the market that I can honestly say is original. It doesn't seem derivative of pretty much everything else that's out there. So uh, get on the second issue of that um, at your store this week. Another debut this week by Brandon Barrows, and the artist, Arnon Menace by Ionic, 
is Jack Hammer. Um, if you're a fan of, of Powers, or if you're a fan of, say, Martial Law, or Superhero and Noir mixed together, then I think you're going to dig Jack Hammer a lot. It's a, um, a private investigator who at one point was super, has some super, he has some super abilities and at one point was a superhero, but has since hung up his cape to be a PI. So it's like a little bit Rockford Files, a little bit noir, uh, a little bit superhero story. Um, all really cool comic. Uh, Jack Hammer number one, uh, with two different covers, one by Riley Rossmo. Um, and one by Ionic, the, the, the artist of the book. So uh, you definitely want to check that out. Uh, Jackhammer, number one. Also this week, we have uh, Skyward, number five, uh, by Jeremy Dale. Now, I mentioned Skyward last uh, on the last podcast, and you'll probably hear me mention it quite a bit, just because um, it, it's not only been a breakaway hit for Action Lab, but it, it's, uh, it's one of the best comics on the market. It's definitely, I think, uh, one of the best fantasy comics out there and, you know, stack it against Saga, Fables, uh, whatever you'd like. It is definitely um, a great, cool, high fantasy, epic adventure. Some, and it's all ages. It's got a really winning art style and just kind of a... In a, in a time where we get a lot of dark fantasy stories and a lot of, you know, storm on dragon and everything, this has a, you know, it has danger and, and, and adventure and twists and turns, but it has a lighter tone, you know, the sun shines in this world, you know, but it's definitely um, a, a fantastic world unto itself. Um, the story is great, the art is wonderful. Um, it's, be, again, it, the first few issues of this is sold out because it has been so popular and people have really enjoyed it so much and and for good reason and the first trade is also available right now uh out on the stands uh, skyward into the woods uh which is volume one of the series of trade paperbacks that eventually be coming out so definitely catch up with skyward at your lcs and finally uh uh last but not least <laughs> is uh, the princeless encore edition uh by jeremy whitley and uh and mia goodwin um Princess, if you haven't heard, you should have heard. Eisner nominated great um, for Best Single Issue last year. Um, just a really cool premise. A prince, princess who got tired of waiting for a Prince Charming decided to go save herself. And uh, the, the art is charming. It's, it's an all-ages story. And um, it, it's really uh, really well done and, and really fun. And a great comic for, for any age, especially for young girls. Um, because it's so empowering and it's just a really good story. Um, and this Encore edition is allowing people to get caught up with the story uh, who might have missed it the first time around. So Princeless Encore edition number three is on the racks this week as well. And you can check out all five of these books in preview pages uh, that are available at comicbookcritic.net. Uh, the exact link can be found on our Twitter feed, which if you're not following us, you should be at Action Lab. Or at, and at Action Lab Danger for the uh, Action Lab Danger Zone line of comics. But uh, you can find the link, direct link in the Twitter feed or go to uh, comicbookcritic.net and find it from their main page. You can check out um, preview pages of all five of the books I've just mentioned and, and see, check out the covers. So, um, you know, you really can't beat that. You can get a little, little taste of each of those uh, five comics that are coming out on January 22nd. Uh, for free. Okay, well, uh, I had the uh, great opportunity to uh, 
interview this week out on the Action Lab podcast. Uh, artist uh, Chad Ciccone, artist of Fracture, one of the, I mean, the flagship title of Action Lab Comics, and, and one of the founders of Action Lab. We talk a little bit about that in the interview. So why don't we just go to that right about now? Hey, everybody, and welcome to uh, the interview portion of the podcast. And this week, I have the distinct and wonderful pleasure of speaking to Mr. Chad Ciccone, artist of Fracture. Hello. Now, I understand that uh, you got to speak to some podcaster royalty recently. You were on with uh, Dr. Norge and the Sensei over at uh, Raging Bullets. Absolutely. Those That's are some, right. of the, some of the best guys in the world. Right uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. They are, uh, they're just super nice. They're, and they've, uh, they've been podcasting for so long together, and they're just, I don't know, they just have a really good rapport on what they do. I think they probably do better than anyone else that does what they do. We have plans to do a follow-up and to actually get together with them in May when Action Lab and myself are going to be at uh, the Pop Expo in Cleveland. They're going to come over and they wanted to do a follow-up after Fracture Volume 2 is completed. I think uh, all four issues should be out by that time. Yeah, we had them uh, come in and do a, um, a live podcast at Gypsy, if you remember correctly. Yeah, I was down there. I think I was oh, yeah. On that episode, briefly. I think you were too, and you added your star power <laughs> to what already was a star-studded day. So I don't know about that, but I enjoyed it. I was uh, when I, when I had Dave on last week. We were just talking about how um, all the all the people at Action Lab have such a deep love, abiding love for the comics medium, you know, in in general and and in particular. And I was just wondering, what is your uh, comic book origin story if you will like what are the first comics you remember reading as a kid or what really made you fall in love with the medium and become an artist well the first comics i can remember reading were um it was called spidey super stories if i remember it correctly from the electric it was, company Just it was in the early company. 70s nice. easy reader and my i was probably i don't know seven or eight i'm dating myself by giving my age as seven or eight in the early 70s. And my mom, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, got me a subscription. And they would come in a like a brown paper wrapper in the mail, and I would read those, and I loved them. And then I kind of graduated up to regular Spider-Man. I guess it was just Amazing Spider-Man at the time. Uh, and then the thing that really threw me over, I, re- I, I kind of like comics, and I would get one every now and then when we went to the grocery store or the drugstore or something. But what really kind of turned me into a collector was uh, my dad at the time had uh, he had a lot of heavy equipment, and he would do you know tear down buildings and dig graves and uh, anything around the area. He had a backhoe and, and some other equipment. And I guess one time he was tearing down a house or an apartment building or something and found this box of comics uh and he brought that home to me and it was just you know like a little grocery a little grocery box or apple box or something and it had i don't know maybe 50 or 50 or 60 comics from about five or ten years prior to them they were stuff from the earlier 70s or the late 60s avengers reprints and and all sorts of spidey stories and stuff like that and i just I just ate those things up and uh, I started buying comics wherever I could find them. Back then you could pick up people would sell you comics with the covers ripped off for a nickel. Uh, you know, you would go into the toy store or the drug store and they would have these 
three packs in a sealed plastic bag where yep. you would yep. see what was on the front, what was on the back, and the comic in the middle was a surprise. Yeah, it was and usually get, like a little Lulu or something. Right, you or, would get three comics for a dollar or something like right, that. Something right. ridiculous. Like I remember Whitman had the, they would have the Star, they had the Star Wars reprint comics. So you'd get like a Star Wars and a Star Trek on the outside, and then the inside would mm-hmm. be like, you know. And, and people ask if, if I was Marvel or DC, and I just kind of stare at them because I read anything I could get my hands on. You mm-hmm. know, I loved Spidey and the Avengers, and I loved the Justice League and Batman just as much. So I re- read anything I, I could get, and then uh-huh. I just started saving them because I would, you know, I nothing about collecting. I just wanted to read them over and over and over again. It's interesting that you are, uh, you're like me, you're a big two agnostic, like, I, I like both equally, you know, I appreciate DC and Marvel universes for what they are, and what they, what makes them different, and what makes them, you know, fun, you know, um, I just... Well, uh, yeah, because it wasn't just Marvel and DC, like you were saying, I, I had, you know, I was starting to pick up comics anywhere I could find them, and I would get Classics Illustrated, and Richie Rich, and all that stuff, or, you know, Archie's I even read a little bit, so I loved the Marvel and DC stuff, but that even way back then, to me, that wasn't all there was to comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember getting, like, um, Grimm's Ghost Stories from Gold Key. Um, um, what was it? Dr. Spectre. You know, like, the really weird horror comics they put out, too, back then. And I read Mad Magazine, and I would get these little... I read the, the regular size magazine, and then they would do little paperback compilations of Mad and Charlie right. Brown. It was all just comics to me. Well, they used to do those paperback compilations of, of DC and Marvel stuff, too, like before before I trades. Never, I never remember having those. I remember having, like, the Mad Magazine trade yeah. paperback, or regular paperback size compilation. The lighter side of? Yeah, and I, I, I think we could order them through, like, the Scholastic catalog, like some comic book stuff. I, I, I remember getting little Charlie Brown paperbacks like that. Right. Peanuts. right. Going back to Spidey Super Stories real quick, though, before we move on. Um, I, I, all I remember is watching that and thinking, why doesn't Spider-Man talk? Because <laughs> on the show, he wouldn't talk. He'd have, like, thought That's balloons. Right. You know, he would, like, look very ponderous, and they would draw a thought balloon. And then, of course, you got uh, Easy Reader, who was, like, the pimp of, uh, of, of the electric company played by Morgan Freeman. That's right. And hanging, I remember hanging out with Spidey uh, on the Spidey, you know, Spidey uh, Super Stories on uh, Electric Company. So. I remember Rita Moreno screaming, hey, you guys. Hey, you guys, of course. But, uh, wow, Spidey Super Stories, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you didn't expect me to say that, did you? No, no, it totally, <laughs> it totally took me back. Man. I, I, I know we're about the same age, but, uh, yeah, yeah that, was, that was definitely a blaster in my past. Um, I, was, I just told this story the other day. When I went to the uh, grocery store, if I helped my grandmother, she would buy me one comic um, from the stand. Or I remember the one grocery store had a comic book machine. You would, and I've never seen them before or since. But you put coins in like a vending machine, and the comic would you know fall down. Oh, I never saw one of those. But I was I grew up in the era where spinner racks were ubiquitous at yeah. any newsstand or drugstore or right. grocery store there was a spinner rack and there was a place uh i would go to the mall in uniontown pa 10 miles from where i grew up yay brownsville uh mm. and there was a store there called the national record mart i mean long out of business uh and they had a spinner rack and i would go every week and look at what 
was new and I would just pick up whatever whatever was there that I that struck my fancy that was new. So I read Green Lantern and you know I read almost anything if if the cover looked interesting. Uh, you know my when I went to the mall when I was kind of a young teenager, my mom would give me three bucks or four bucks or something so I could get five or six comics. And that's when I really started reading everything. Now, who are who are some of your biggest influences as far as your your art, your, your drawing? I mean, you obviously, I mean, I don't, I'm forgive me if I'm too far off base here, but it seems like your your stuff kind of falls into that Alex Toth, Paul Dini um, kind of line of just very clean lines. It's also, oh yeah, it's also an anime type thing too, just very clean, not not sketchy, not overly rendered, just very clean and just simple lines, uh, good illustrative style. And yeah, I, am I, I far off? I mean, you, th- that's right. Those names aren't the ones I would have come up with first because I think those are a little, a little from before that I was making note of who artists were. Mm-hmm. When I started looking at artists and realizing who they were and following artists was when I was a, sort of a teenager. So the names that come to my mind are John Byrne, Art Adams, and then a little bit later than that, Kevin McGuire. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the, the, now all the, somebody all the, like Amanda Connor. Right. Um, well, everybody you just mentioned comes from that kind of. That's they're from that school. For, yeah, from that like classic illustration yep. type school. You know, yep. I guess it all goes back to like, you know, Saturday Evening Post or whatever. But yeah, just I that kind of clean, up. cleaner style and um, yeah, you're not as affected. I guess like, I guess I, I'm thinking of more like a, a the Jim Lee school where just everything looks sketched. Yeah, a lot of rendering, a lot, a lot of lines. I mean, Art Adams has a lot of lines on the page. But it's oh, yeah, well, Perez, too. Category, yeah. And that burn, I mean, just that, that, that level of detail, very few artists achieve, you know. But uh, it's, it's just, I don't know. I mean, that's what I see when I look at your art. I mean, definitely the burn influence, if you talk about the curves. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, try to, I try to put facial expressions in... Uh, and keep trying to improve that and that's i think my kevin mcguire influence and then when i draw the pretty ladies it's uh it's adam hughes that i try to see on the page (laughs) well uh, you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have something to shoot for you might as well shoot shoot (laughs) absolutely so um tell me about the genesis of action lab tell me about your the beginning of your participation like how it all began for you with action lab well, I, it's it's long enough enough ago now that it's it's becoming either legendary or fading into the mists of time. But my <laughs> recollection of the beginning of Action Lab was once long ago was Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, be, let me set the stage. Before Action Lab began, I was working with Sean Pryor um, on some of my earliest comic book sequential work uh we were doing mercury in the Murd for pkd media and i had been for a couple of years in 2010 when this when the action lab story starts going to conventions kind of as chad sacconi artist uh, which is a big leap to make when you're just putting stuff out on the internet and you're not some big time comic artist getting a, your first table at a convention is a big deal and i did that in pittsburgh i don't know 2008 or 2009 and i had been going to some shows and i went to heroes con in uh charlotte north carolina with sean Pryor that year and we we had known and met 
and and been friends through the comic geek speak and and conventions and stuff with a number of guys including uh dave wachter uh, dave dewanch uh and a few other guys and those guys all happened to be there um in 2010 in in charlotte and on the sunday night after the show which is my favorite time of a convention because if it's an out-of-town show i usually don't come back sunday night because i'm so exhausted i usually stay sunday night and take an extra day off of work and come back on monday uh so the sunday night uh dave duanch and dave wachter and myself were sitting at the hotel bar uh, in charlotte and just kind of commiserating a little bit about how we all felt similarly situated in that you know we were these quote independent the capital i comic producers striving away doing books uh and uh complaining about how we were all kind of selling the same 300 copies of our books to the same people in a little echo chamber and fig- trying to figure out how could we expand our audience and take ourselves to the next level and uh, improve the quality of our work at the same time and we were just kind of half kidding throwing around well we sh- we should form a little company and you know I'll edit your book and you edit my book and uh, more heads uh, are better than one and we would improve the quality of our work and and get ourselves and it was it was kind of a joke when we were talking about it and uh, we were saying and we it, I don't think Sean Pryor was with us at the table he was either walking around or he had gone home I don't remember which we were saying and we should get Sean to be you know the front man because he's He's such a natural uh, promoter, and we all enjoyed working with Sean. And so we left there and never really seriously thinking of doing it, just kind of jokingly spinning it out as a what if. And so I actually wrote Sean an email saying, let's do this. We should do this. And I never heard anything back about it. And apparently Sean went and talked to Dave. And I don't know, two months later, I got a call from Dave. He's like, Chad, we're doing it. Let's get let's get it started. We came up with a name, Action Lab. Are you in? So I'm like, absolutely. And uh, we talked about, you know, who who else we should talk to and get involved. And when the dust settled, myself and Sean Pryor and Dave Duanch and your friend and mine, Sean Gabrin, who was in the same situation uh, as we were with uh, being an independent producer. um, And one other guy, uh, Brian, who we brought in because he had some business sense on his head, uh, not a comic creator at the time, but a, uh, a comic fan. And we actually, you know, put it together. I'm a lawyer in my day job, so I did a little paperwork. We formed a company and we talked about you know, how do we get this thing started. And Sean Gabrin and I had already had fracture in the works at the time. We were thinking of doing it either ourselves or through Sean's company, Angry Gnome. And so we said, why don't we try to use Fracture as one of our first books and see if we can get in the Diamond catalog. And we did a Kickstarter to raise some funds for printing. And the ball just slowly started rolling. And the now, rest, now they say is history. Now you're one of the masterminds of a multinational villainy, <laughs> web of villainy and, and, uh, and, and dire results. Well, it's, it's three plus years later. And we're still 
standing, our publishing line has expanded to we're doing six or seven books monthly now. I think we've done some amazing quality stuff in the last three years. So I think in that hotel bar in Charlotte in 2000, June or July or whenever it was, 2010, um, I think we could have only in our wildest dreams imagined that we would be where we are right now with a couple of Eisner nominations <laughs> under our belt and, uh, and absolutely uh, a strong presence, we hope, in the Diamond catalog uh, and a part of the ever-expanding digital comics movement. And uh, uh, we feel like we're in the middle of a lot of stuff right now. Well, I kind of feel like uh, um, one of the strengths and weaknesses of the company, or not a weakness, but but something that might be a difficult thing to do sometimes, is to explain in, in just a few words, you know, what kind of comics actually that makes. I mean, it's it's you know such a wide spectrum of IPs. You know what I mean? It's such a, a diverse amount of of different. I mean, look at you know the difference between. I mean. You know, one end of the spectrum, you have Princess and Skyward, and the other end, you have, like, The Final Plague and, and, and um, you know, 80s Undead and everything, and Bo Plushy, and then, like, everything in between, you know. Um, the, the you know, a couple superhero books we have are not conventional superhero books. I mean, one of the things I say about Fracture all the time, and I mention this in the Twitter and when I talk about the book on the podcast as well, is that it's one of the few superhero books that's out there with an actual, like, an original premise, to me, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, just because so many superhero books are so derivative of everything else that's come before, you know. Oh, this is a postmodern version of that. Oh, we're going to tell this story again. Oh, we're going to do this again, that again. And I mean, it's it's just refreshing that, you know, I mean, there aren't a lot of superhero books in the action lab slate, but the ones that are there are ones that are, are not your, your normal superhero books, and I'm really appreciative of that, especially Fracture, you know, because I mean, it is such a novel idea. Good, good premise to start with, and it is well executed, you know, so. Well, I hope that's the case, and that's what attracted me to working on it with uh, that and working with uh, Sean Gabrin, who's the cre- original idea man and creator and writer of, uh, of action. It's funny, too, because 2008 Pittsburgh Comic Con, I think that's when I had the uh, the first Geek Throwdown, maybe? I think it probably was. The or it was the first. It was the first one that I went to, anyway. Yeah, and that was the first one. Yeah, 2008, uh, a gypsy. So, and I think that's when I met Sean Pryor in person. It may have been when I met Sean Gabrin in person. Uh, I know it's when I met Dave DeWanch and John uh, Super Ugly in person for the first right. time. That was sort of the confluence of, of, the beginnings of all those relationships for me. I like to feel I helped in some small way by providing, Absolutely. By providing Absolutely. food and beverage. <laughs> and you're always jovial self as well. Well, yeah. I'm you know, I've got i I've, I've got a two and a half year old and six months old. <laughs> Anytime I'm out of the house I'm jovial. Okay. <laughs> so um this is the second volume of Fraction. The first uh volume was four issues, am I right? The first volume was three issues. Three issues, I'm sorry. And uh, this is the vo- second volume. The second issue comes out by the time uh, people will be hearing this um, on January 22nd. So give me the elevator pitch of the second season. I kind of look at almost like the second season of the show. You know what I mean? It's like the same story going forward, but there are a lot of changes. A lot of, thing- a lot of things have changed since the, uh, the first issue. Well, yeah. it it Volume 2 picks up literally moments after uh, the end of Volume 1. Um, 
in volume one, we basically had Jeff uh, learning what his situation was and discovering that he had these uh, personalities or so-called fractures, as we've come to refer to them as, that had different powers, uh, different personalities and different objectives. And he kind of stumbled through volume one trying to uh, figure out which which of the powers he could access as himself and how to control or live with the shifts and how to interact with um, the other people who were in the lives of his quote-unquote fractures. And there was an ending to volume one that was kind of forced upon him. Jeff was... Jeff was a victim of circumstance in volume one and trying to gain some control over it. In volume two, Jeff is very much now at least has a plan to how to, for how to deal with this and is trying to take some more control of the situation and assert himself as the dominant uh, in control aspect of this fractured psyche. Um, the cast of characters expands in volume two um, as Jeff kind of starts to network into this community and interact himself with some of the uh, people that are in his other identities lives and to to assert himself in the situation. And then there are also some twists that uh, uh, present themselves as significant obstacles for Jeff to deal with. Yeah, the, you could say that. <laughs> I, I've gotten to I've gotten to read the second issue, so um, I, I just I don't know. It's so interesting to me that people say there are no good superhero stories left. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I remember people saying that after Alan Moore wrote Watchmen and and uh, and Miracle Man in the '80s. I remember hearing it again after Image in the '90s. You know that superheroes have been played out. And there's no, there were no more good stories to tell. But every then, then again, every once in a while, someone comes up like Robert Kirkman with Invincible, or you know, or you guys with Fracture, or whatever, with a unique take on it that proves that that you know trope wrong. I just, I mean, what do you think? Do you think superheroes are, are fairly played out? You think there's just still a lot? Of, I mean, obviously, you think there's some you know viability to the genre as far as you know a story there to be told that hasn't been told before. Else, you you, know, you wouldn't be doing Fracture. But I mean. Do you think it's it, there aren't too many more stories there, or do you think it's just a matter of finding the right perspective to tell a story? Well, I think superheroes are not unlike the medium of comic books themselves. Comic books, people said, were played, were dead, but that's because they were equating it to quote-unquote superhero comics and didn't, didn't kind of acknowledge or think that comics are just a medium to tell all sorts of stories. In a smaller sense, but still kind of a potentially valid one superhero comics are a vehicle to tell stories i mean it's just it's a soap opera uh so if you can find a unique story to tell within the context of the the quote-unquote superhero universe you can tell an interesting story i think what's kind of played is the marvel and dc model of the same characters repeating the same stories over and over again with the understanding that because you have this continuity, you can't really change anything. That becomes played, you know, 
when you b- first become a comic book fan, you're going to read Marvel and DC, and you're going to read them for five years because all the stuff is new to you. But once you've read them for five years, the cycle starts to repeat itself because you're going to see, oh, they're telling the origin of X-Hero again that I already know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, didn't Dr. Octopus do this same thing five years ago? Or didn't Dr. Doom fight these people three months ago or whatever that's what becomes played the say the seeing the same characters and the same stories repeated over and over again you can do anything uh, within the confines of a superhero story just like you know how long have soap operas been on television it's just a vehicle for telling a story yeah i think the interesting things that are going on with the superhero stories now are those that take the superhero story and kind of not so much subverted like you know postmodern 80s type thing but kind of um make a hybrid with another genre like jack hammer is a good example sure you know it's got like a noir political thriller type thread running through it but it also has superheroes or powers powers is a, sure it's a and police... fracture the same way fracture is right. a story of basic basically the real story of fracture is a guy a, a comedic take on a guy with multiple personalities trying to figure out a situation. It happens to be set in a superhero world, but Sean could have written the same story generally, the same framework of the story as a horror story or a straight comedy or whatever. It just happens to be in a superhero world. Right. Right. I just, um, it's just one of the, one of the like I said, like the point I was trying to make earlier, I probably didn't state it very well. was in the action lab. Almost looks like, uh, like if you look like a company like IDW or Image, another company, you know, like one of our peers, you know, if you grab an, an image book, you're not going to assume it's going to be a superhero story. That's right. But, but by the fact that it's an image book, you have a certain expectation of a certain level of quality. At least I do, usually. Agreed. Then. I that's mean, and that's exactly probably what we're aspiring years to. Or whatever. And that's, that's what we're aspiring to. That's Absolutely. kind of what I look at the Action Lab seal as. It's kind of a... A seal of quality, like, you know, hey, this book is, is this good because it's something that we've done. It may be, you know, the high fantasy thing like Skyward or, or you know, a, a gritty grindhouse thing like Scum of the Earth. But, I mean, it's still that bar of quality is like what I kind of see the imprint being as opposed to something like DC or Marvel where you see the imprint and you immediately think of their, their IP heroes, you know. Right. That, you're absolutely correct about the plan and the intent. That is the intent behind... Uh, action lab and it has been from the formation so uh in in uh, a perfect world with all the all the uh, restrictions taken away who would you cast in the fracture movie <laughs> i've actually never thought of that uh i mean well you know what i i mean and i don't mean to like you know go behind the sky here or whatever but it almost seems like as opposed to the comic books themselves that's more more of interest to like marvel or dc to keep the ips out in the public eye and it just seems like a lot of the um independent i mean look at you know walking dead is a tv series now you know that's well, sure ostensibly indie you know i mean things I don't know. It well, with like no the, the, restrictions whatsoever, uh, Robert Redford from 1975 would be the, <laughs> okay. would be the, the okay. lead of uh, would be Jeff. What if they were casting it now? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's insert your favorite uh, your, your your favorite actor. I mean, uh, he's depicted as a as a kind of a, a big blonde guy, but I don't. He doesn't have to be blonde. Whoever. Whoever the best actor is could could play the guy. Somebody who has the acting chops to pull off 
dif- different personalities inhabiting the same body it would be it would be an acting challenge to pull it off uh, it's it's a difficult enough challenge to try to convey the character acting on the page i can't imagine what a, a an actor would have to uh, put himself through to to do the role but it would be an interesting challenge what you know the uh, chris pine the guy doing uh, captain kirk now yeah, you can see that or maybe chris hemsworth sure he might be a little too big and burly. Maybe. His brother's kind of small. Or maybe that kid from The Hunger Games. Well, I don't want to fall into the same kind of thing that's going on with all this talk of Wonder Woman to try to just cast it based on looks. Uh, I'll, I'm sticking to my answer. Whoever has the best acting chops yeah. is who I would want to play. Jeff. Right. Yeah, that was the thing about the uh, Wonder Woman. Like uh, Gina Carano would have been a great physical choice, but not a good acting choice, you know? I'm not really familiar with the woman they did pick. She, the pictures I've seen, she looks kind of thin to be Wonder Woman. To me, I mean, I don't know, but uh, I think that could I would be rather I'd rather wait until the movie comes out before I slag on it. I, I agree. <laughs> I think somebody's physique, as has been true, proven time and time again, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro on, can be uh, substantially changed for a movie role if they're oh, yeah. committed to doing so. Did so. you see American Hustle? No, I didn't. Christian Bale has like a huge pot belly and a comb, <laughs> a comb over, and it's the real deal. I mean, it, you know, like you said, he went to Nero. He, he gained the weight for the role. So, well, I'm yeah. pre- I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what they do with it. Plus, I mean, they pushed back this real um, announced they pushed that back to 2016. I did see that. So they're gonna have plenty of time to do what they want to do with it. I'm just, I don't know. Like, I, I understand what you mean about the fanboy hate. I mean, the, the movie hasn't even come out yet, and everybody's, you know, got their pitchforks and, and torches and ready to storm the castle, you know? I'm like, hey, um, why don't we wait till the movies come out and then talk about them and slag on them or praise I, them? I'm still in the stage where I'm happy we're getting all these movies. I'm, 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 I'm with you. Oh, I've when... said that so many times. Oh, my God. You, you, you would hear about some movie like uh, Star Wars, I I remember sitting in my classroom at school and reading some blurb about Star Wars in 1976 in the back of Dynamite magazine yeah, and I suddenly know. going, I, I have to see this movie. And they're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for it to come out. Because I was the kid who would run home from school at 3 o'clock to watch uh, a Star Trek rerun. Uh, right. And because that was the only science fiction stuff there was on TV ever. It's amazing. I was just talking about this on Nothing's On about how I remember distinctly, like the first thing, the only preparation I had going into Raiders of the Lost Ark was like a, a, a four inch column in Starlog that I had read. It was like, you know, oh my God, Mystery Starlog. Project. Yeah, Mystery Project from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas with Harrison Ford and all these other actors I'd never heard of. And, uh, that's all I knew going in. And now, I mean, if that movie were coming out, there would be like, you know, featurettes on all the stunts and interviews with the cast on the set, you know. And, and, and Jim, is it better now? I don't know. See, that's what I, we're I talking about. I don't know. What we're talking about. I mean, is it better that I can, you know, um, sit at home and watch Netflix and, and download something that before I would have had to hunt down in, you know, or mail order from some obscure VHS store? Yeah, it's better there. 
exactly. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I remember the dark days of, of VHS and having to dub from VHS tape to VHS tape. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Now I can, you know, push a button, have the, have it all. So in that aspect, yes, it is. And the aspect of, you know, I know everything. I've known, I've seen all the money shots of every movie before I walk in if I want to. Well, that's the trade-off. I don't know. You know. That, that's the that's the trade-off. We 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 like to reminisce and, and get nostalgic for the times when we could walk into a movie pristine and not really know. But the trade-off is we're living in Star Trek. Like I'm carrying a communicator in my right. coat pocket every day and uh, walking around with a with with an iPad that's better than what they used in Star Trek. Uh, so. And for everybody who bitches about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, I have two words for you. Nicholas Hammond. I remember he played Spider-Man in the TV series. Oh, I didn't remember the actor's name. They, um, I mean, if you remember how absolutely crappy the Spider-Man TV show was, or yeah, I liked the Hulk, but I really didn't. Yeah, the Hulk was good, but I mean, I mean, even in the Hulk, when they had like Daredevil, it was Rex Smith with a oh yeah blindfold on, and and their version of Thor was I don't know. I mean, and now you look at, you know, and people are whining about, you know, you know, the casting choice. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I never thought we would get movies. I, I mean, I never, in my, my wildest dreams thought there'd be a, a, a big budget Avengers movie. Oh, yeah. As a kid, you know, I never, I never thought there would even be prequels to Star Wars, even if they were terrible, you know, um, so I don't, I don't are, think it's like I'm, an attitude I, of gratitude for me. I'm not in agreement with all the hate for the Star Wars prequels. I didn't really like the third one, but for me, Star Wars is for the 12 year old boy that still lives inside of me. Because to me, walking out of Star Wars, it was lightsabers. It was swashbuckling. It was guys fighting with lightsabers and people shooting. So I don't I I've never really cared and I'm never going to care that much about the story and the acting in Star Wars and I will tell you the greatest lightsaber scene in in all the Star Wars movies is from the uh, episode 1 the Phantom Menace with Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and so as far as I'm concerned the Phantom Menace can do no wrong because it gave me 12 minutes of the greatest lightsaber battle I've ever seen, and that's what I want in a Star Wars. The twelve-year-old boy in me wants to see those lightsaber battles. Here's here's my problem with the, the Star Wars prequels. You ready? Parliamentary procedure, also. <laughs> yeah, I get <laughs> no, it. No, no more it. trade agreements, please. Uh, more, more. I didn't like what, those sections they either. Table, they tabled the 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 addendum. Oh my God! <laughs> but but I guess the twelve-year-old boy can beat up the intellectual forty-eight-year-old uh, and still enjoy the films for what they are. You know, if you ask me who my favorite Jedi is in the entire series, it's Qui Gon. I, I I love Liam Neeson. I love. Uh, I really enjoyed a lot of the scenes in that movie. I get I get it, and I understand what everybody's complaining about about the you know the Trade Federation and the, all that jazz and the Imperial Senate from the prequels but for me it's still about the lightsabers it's cool i'm just uh it, I, I, you know i wasn't it wasn't as bad of a thing as uh the indiana jones uh kingdom of the crystal skull was for me but uh yeah i, w- I wasn't thrilled with that that movie either it's all been downhill for me since raiders of the lost ark on that one. Oh really you didn't appreciate sean connery as the dad no he was okay but uh, Raiders is my favorite one. Yeah, mine too. Mine too, still. 
it was interesting. We're doing this thing on uh, HHWLOD where we're listing our top 20 movies of all time. And uh, I had to think about it for a little while, but the only one that made my top 20 was uh, Raiders. Well, hopefully... Oh, those movies, so... Hopefully in 20 years, the Fracture movie will be on, on that list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Starring Casper Van Dien. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, Fracture Volume 2, number 2, comes out on January 22nd. That's a lot of twos. You should probably, yeah, maybe that you means should probably go to the lottery or something that, that day. My grandma would say play the lottery on that day. I'm, strug- I'm struggling at the, at the moment to remember what was specifically in Issue 2 because I'm... Just putting yeah. the finishing touches on issue four as we get it ready to go to the crocodile. The crocodile looms large on the cover. That's right. I love that cover. Yeah, me too. He kind of looks like some weird cross between the Road Warrior and Fu Manchu. He's he's fun to draw. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the character designs in Fracture, and the most boring one is Virtue himself, the main hero. Um, the theory behind that being that since this came out of quote-unquote Jeff's subconscious, the Virtue character would be the blandest, most stereotypical superhero outfit. So, right. well, so col- he's like the blandest, most stereotypical. Right, the superhero. colors, the, the red and blue and the primary colors were designed based on, okay, if you if you just reached in a bag and pulled out what, what are typical stereo, stereotypical superhero traits of a costume... That's what it's going to look like. But the other ones were, were fun. You know, uh, I've, I've certainly gotten better over the last two years at drawing a, a long leather coat uh, and uh, masks and goggles and things, which is fun. Do you have any other projects you uh, would like to talk about, uh, promote, or otherwise pimp? Well, I'm, I'm still deciding what my next comic project is going to be, uh, depending on Fracture Volume 3 and timing and... Uh, other schedules, but I, I will note that I have been doing a lot of uh, sketch card work in between my comic work, and I'm, uh, I'm, I've probably done more sketch card work than comic work over the last four years. So uh, uh, I've been doing, I finally got my foot in the door with some of the larger companies, and I've been doing some Marvel and DC sketch card sets. So I, I can say on my resume that I have worked professionally with the Marvel and DC <laughs> characters. Uh, and those are fun, you know, getting to draw a little... I, I think of them as little tiny comic book covers when I'm doing sketch cards at, at trading card size. And I'm working on a set right now uh, for another smaller outfit that uh, deals with sort of pin-up models and, and pit bulls. It's a set called Pin-Ups and Pit Bulls from... Um, uh, contemporary pinups. That's a, a card set designed to pr- uh, promote uh, the understanding that uh, pit bull dogs are not inherently vicious, and that it, they are the ones that are that way are are that way because of human interaction with them, and uh, to raise awareness that. So I'm doing cards with pinup models, you know, enjoying spending time with their dogs. <laughs> okay. I'm do, I'm doing a whole series of, you know, I've got them. Uh, on the trapeze and surfing and yeah, if you follow Chad on on Facebook, he's been posting quite a few of those actually. Yeah, as he's been busting them out. So, and I, I saw some Night of the Living Dead stuff. Yeah, that's actually I'm working. Um, somebody saw some of the uh, 
uh, images that I do put. I post a lot of sketches on Facebook, uh, Chad Sacconi on Facebook, anybody who wants to check them out. Uh, also DeviantArt. Uh, but and actually an old high school friend of, uh, of my family saw those and contacted me and, and indicated that he has a, a side business refurbishing pinball machines. He buys old classic pinball machines and he's a mechanic, I guess, and does redoes all the insides and modernizes them and also redoes the art and the theme. And he's doing a Night of the Living Dead pinball machine Oh wow! and asked if I would help him out with doing the artwork for the. They call it the play field on the pinball machine. So he wow. sent me this technical design showing where all the bumpers are and all the the, the, the elements, uh, the plastic elements, and where we can put art. And I'm working up right now. I'm in this uh, phase of doing a lot of sketches and looking at screenshots of Night of the Living Dead and trying to do as best likenesses as I can. And, you know, he, he sent me a little roughed out design of, okay, I want a spaceship here and a graveyard here and these two characters here running down the road. And so I'm doing a lot of Night of the Living Dead sketches. I never really aspired to be a horror artist or uh, zombies aren't my favorite genre, but it it's kind of fun drawing people with, you know, their eyeballs hanging out and stuff. Well, it seems like something that your your style of art would be well suited for too, like that kind of uh, pinball type art. It's, yeah, it's it's a tension for me between getting the drawings to have enough of a likeness so they're recognizable as the character from the movie, uh, and trying to get a photorealistic likeness, which isn't my uh, particular strength in my drawing. I my drawing. It rides that fine line between realistic and cartoony, mm. and I'm not a caricature artist, and I'm not a portrait artist who gets uh, real close likenesses. So I'm I'm trying to push myself a little bit in that direction, because the guy who's working with me wants the characters to you know he wants to know the 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 the, the game player to be able to see that this is the the king zombie and this is the the Ben character and this is the brother and sister from the in the graveyard scene. So I'm trying to at least get enough of a likeness that you know who the characters are. Right. Plus, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of them have visual cues. I mean, the little girl with the garden trowel. And, That's right. That's right. Um, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. You know, the, the right. glasses and the hair or whatnot. Yeah. And thank, thank goodness for that. Cause you can go a long way with costume and props and the guy wearing glasses and the polka dot tie, or like you said, the, the, uh, the garden trowel for the little girl so you can you can bolster and if you get the face close enough that okay you get the hairstyle right and the the, the eyes in the right place you can get enough of a likeness to sell it sweet well chad thanks for coming on to the podcast i really appreciate it and as i said thank you for uh, having me it's our it's our second podcast so it's fra- it's fracture volume two number two january 22nd it all seems meant to be somehow Check it out at your local comic shop. It's a lot of twos. Grab issue one while you're at it. I'm certain there's some copies floating around out there. And if not, actionlabcomics.com. Order it from us. Or you can check it out on Comixology for 99 cents. That's right. Um, Comixology.com on the Action Lab, right on the Action Lab page. I think volume one is there too digitally, is it not? I, it is, and I, I'm not going to pull out my iPad and check, but I think we got some kind of ridiculous deal going on there where you can get the whole thing for a dollar or three dollars or something, yeah. all three issues uh, in volume one. That's uh, another thing I, I, I love about the philosophy of Action Lab. It's like the, I, the, I really think that that's where it's at as far as people buying digital content, content that 99 cents 
you know, the 99 cent level. I mean, that's where where iTunes, you know, made it. And I think it's kind of to the point where, oh, that's cheap enough that I won't have to pirate it. You know what I mean? Well, that's right. We we went back and forth on the pricing, both on our single issues and our trades and on the digital. Uh, but on the digital side, uh, 99 cents does seem like it's the sweet spot for pricing, as you point out, just like for, for uh, music. And I guess it's, you know, psychologically, 99 cents doesn't sound like a lot of money, whereas three or four dollars still potentially is a significant amount of money. You know, you, you can get lunch at McDonald's for three or four bucks, but 99 cents is a half a cup of coffee or a quarter of a cup of coffee at this point. Right. Or a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Apple, I suppose. Well, something positive they've done, right? <laughs> Again, thanks for coming on, Chad. The book is Fracture uh, that Chad draws with uh, Sean Gabber in writing. And uh, check out your LCS. Thank you. Thanks again to uh, Chad Ciccone for inter- for allowing himself to be interviewed. I thought it was a pretty good discussion. And uh, again, if you want to check out Chad's artwork, you can check out in uh, the pages of Fracture. Uh, volume 2, number 2, is coming out on January 22nd. It was featured... Uh, in this episode earlier on so uh, definitely check that out and thanks again to have for having him on uh, next week uh, or the next uh, installment of the podcast will be in February and we will be discussing Ugly Love with Super Ugly himself, the rapper, the man the podcaster, the, the myth the legend, uh, Mr. John Williams aka Super Ugly so that will be awesome definitely check out that show and until then we'll see you in the lab
Yeah. 